Are you ready to be a better, more successful, and open-minded trader and investor? I'm Serge Berger, head trader and investment strategist at thestudytrader.com, and I want to help you get there. Whether you've been investing for years or are just getting your feet wet, this podcast will help you cut through the noise and get dialed in on the big picture. We will utilize research, guest interviews, and real-time analysis of the market. We're at a critical juncture in the market where knowledge really will mean power. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of our Study Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Serge Berger, and what we are going to look at today is energy stocks. I've been talking a lot about energy stocks to both our clients at the Steady Traders side, on, on the research side, but also on the investment advisory side at Blue Marlin Advisors. And the reason for that is multitude. I have several points here that I would like to go through, starting with the inflation part of all this. And as always, I'm going to go through a bunch of charts that I will explain to you here in uh, audio uh, version, but also I'll quickly share, share it with you on the screen for those people listening on YouTube. As always, I have to say, you will not be missing out on anything here. If you don't see the charts, I will describe them to you just as well. So let's first quickly understand a little bit about what's going on in terms of inflation. And it's like anyone that has a, an investment portfolio. An investment portfolio usually consists of a diversified approach, at least in our view at Blue Marlin Advisors, that's what a investment portfolio should look like. We always talk about this recurrently on this podcast that the highest probability for success over the long term is a diversified investment portfolio approach. It beats 10 out of 10 will beat anyone that's chart chasing, constantly finding the latest and greatest opportunity, because ultimately that ends up missing out on, on, on the major opportunities that give us a, a very good risk-adjusted return is, the uh, I guess, the best way of putting it. But if we look at a typical sort of diversified portfolio and, and, and diversification in the most simplistic ways, the way lots of investment advisors do it, is by basically putting their clients out money into some part equities and some part fixed income. Now, there's a lot more in our view that has to be done in terms of true diversification. Uh, some of those things, things include commodities. That's sort of an important diversification among different currencies, probably even among different countries. So in even different custodians, like not having all the money in one bank or in one country. There's so many different ways in, in which diversification can go. But to, put, to touch on, on, on the, the part that, that affects energy stocks here or why we want to increase allocations in, in, in energy stocks for our purposes is because of inflation. So if you look at the past couple of years, particularly in 2022, but also here in 2023, once again, seeing essentially a positive correlation to between bond, bond prices, excuse me, bond yields and, and equity prices. So what's essentially been happening is when the equity market goes down, we've seen bond prices not go up. Long story short, the hedge, and I may have said something wrong before there, the hedge that, that a bond portfolio, a bond allocation has been giving investors uh, against the declining equities certainly didn't work in 2021. Uh, and it's still very difficult in 2023 because the, even, though, even though we have a specific inflationary environment, we're not seeing bond prices hedge ourselves, get, getting us hedged appropriately. And it has a lot to do with, again, the stickiness of, of inflation. So 
what I'm going to go through here is quickly flip. I'm going to flip on a couple of charts. Again, I'll, I'll describe these charts. So again, not to worry, not missing out anything. If you're not, if you're just listening to this in terms of uh, traditional podcast uh, avenues. But what I'm going to quickly share with you, first of all, is a performance chart. And a performance chart, just basically speaking to, speaking to the way energy stocks have been behaving over the course of the past, I'm going to look at the past one month, three months, and then year to date. So let me share this with you guys here. And hopefully what you uh, can see here and what I'm going to describe here is now as follows. So if we look at energy stocks through a longer term lens, and the longer term lens would be, this is not long term, by the way, year to date, what we are seeing very clearly is we're seeing energy stocks essentially still underperforming for the year, up about 7% versus broader indices up more, but we are seeing them catch up. And that has been no, very notable starting in around the month of June when we started to get initial signs that inflation was starting to pick up. And this is so important, we believe, again, as a hedge. So energy is starting to pick up from a year-to-day perspective up 7%. If we look at it on a three-month basis, the energy stocks uh, are actually up about 13% in terms of uh, performance basically since June. And it's the best uh, performer in terms of sector performance by far. I mean, it's really not even close. The second perform best performance is consumer discretionary up about seven and uh, consumer com 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 communication stocks up about six and change. And if we look at it on a one month basis, we can see that over the past month, and this is like a one month rolling basis, Back, looking back about 5%, uh, not quite up 5, 5%. Again, the second best sector there is technology up basically flat, <laughs> up flat. So basically 0.4% to be more specific as of the very moment I'm recording this. So that's not a heck of a lot of, of, of performance. Um, that's actually, that's really good performance if we look at it both in relative and also an absolute basis. But again, from a, on a year-to-date perspective, we're really starting to catch up. So to me, that's important, that hedge against inflation. And that brings me to another chart that I'm, I'm going to describe. And again, not to, to worry, you're not missing out on anything if you're just listening to this. But this first, this next chart here, what I'm going to show you is, and then describe to you, is essentially what, how well energy stocks have been able to hedge uh, inflation. So we're going to start off and we're going to build this chart and we're looking at the S&P 500 here and we're comparing it versus the consumer price index at the bottom of the chart, which is basically inflation. We've seen inflation, of course, rally from basically, let's call it 2021 into roughly about one year ago. So September, October of 2022. And then ever since then, inflation has come down pretty hard. In fact, very hard from 7, 8% down to now roughly just north of 3%. So equities during all that period have more or less stayed flat. The S&P 500 is essentially flat now for two years. It's up a little bit since inflation has tracked. However, what's really notable here, if we look at the next chart, is that bonds have actually fared very poorly, which makes sense, of course, because when if inflation goes up, bond, bond yields go up and bond prices go lower. So the, the typical hedge in an environment like this, where, where we have inflation going up, bonds can't hedge against that. So bonds 
what we're looking at now is we're looking at the past few years, S&P 500 uh, essentially flat, bonds down a, a lot, like sharply. Again, that's because bond yields have gone up, so bond prices go down. So bonds can't possibly hedge against that inflation risk. But what has acted very well as a source, as a hedge, is, in, is energy stocks. And this, remember, this is only the first part of, of what we're going to talk about. There are lots of reasons to be bullish energy stocks beyond this. But this is one important one. So what I'm doing now, I'm showing a chart of energy stocks, how they have fared over the past couple of years, and a terrific hedge, not only against bonds, but even against equity risk. In fact, energy stocks are uh, now basically near back to all-time highs. The S&P, not too far back. Now, the S&P's had a very specific uh, situation taking place this year with growth stocks basically pricing out a soft, a hard landing pricing in a soft landing. And that will probably, in my view, end sooner rather than later, where we're going to start to see higher interest rates start to bite uh, those growth names as well. But long story short, we think an allocation to energy stocks, an overweighted allocation to energy stocks, makes a heck of a lot of sense here as a hedge against inflation. Now, if you're of the view, or one is of the view, that inflation is no longer a problem going forward, which I would not disagree with because I think this is difficult to to handicap, and I have two points I want to make on that, very specific points uh, on that in just a couple of minutes. But even then, energy has a lot of tailwinds. And here is why. So if we look at this sector breakdown now, what I'm going to talk about is the makeup of how much of the S&P 500 is made up by each individual sector. Right now, the energy stocks, energy sector is up, is, it makes up about 4.6%. It was really like 4 or 3% even just a little while ago, like a few months ago, of the S&P 500. Historically speaking, the data I've been able to come across is that energy stocks are, historically speaking, make up more closer to 7 or 8 or even 9 or 10%, somewhere between 7 and 10% of the S&P 500 if we look this back. In fact, if you just go back not too long ago, it may have been a decade ago or so, and don't quote me on this too closely, but ExxonMobil was the largest market cap in the world, right? Uh, certainly in the U.S. market, and that's certainly no longer the case. So energy has a lot to catch up just to get back to, to historic norms. So I think that's uh, very important. We think, again, S&P 500-wise, we could see energy stocks go from a 5% current weight to closer to 8 9 10% over the course of... This could happen quickly, to be honest with you, but I'm going to say just to be safe, maybe it's another year or two within which we want to, to keep, uh, keep an eye on this. And basically what that means is that we would want to allocate more to energy stocks. So that basically means... Now, let's say someone has invested 100% in stock, which is certainly not something we would ever advise on or recommend, but let's just, for argument's sake, thus, and one is basically replicating the S&P 500, just to put some numbers around it. In that scenario, out of $100,000, one would have about 5% in energy stocks, or 46 at the very moment as I'm recording this, which, of course, would be roughly $5,000 if you compare that to almost... $28,000 in the technology sector itself, plus another 9% in communications, which is also technology. You can see how quickly tech is very overweight. That's another topic we've talked about that many times in podcasts throughout the past 12, 18 months. So no reason to mention that here uh, very much uh, specifically today. But this gets us to another couple of points. So that's just historic norms. Now let's talk about some of the tailwinds for, for the energy sector, because there we have 
essentially something that's quite undeniable, which is that world, the world economy continues to grow. So we know that the world economies continue to grow in the sense that the population is growing. But it's not just the population growth. And I, I was just looking at some world population data before, which, by the way, keeps getting ratcheted down part of it due to fertility rates in, in North Africa having dropped sharply lower than people were estimating. Also due to uh, China, Ch China had a, had a one child policy up until about 10 years ago. I think they, went, they, they then went from a two to three child policy within the span of a few years. And uh, even so, the Chinese now have the lowest, the lowest birth rate, I believe, ever from what I saw over the past few weeks of researching for this podcast episode. So the world population is certainly still growing, but there could be a point where we literally reach a cliff and it starts decelerating. And I've mentioned this before. I think at some point the Chinese population is set to decrease by something like 10 million a year and then up to 30 million a year. At some point in the future, I think it's like 10, 20, 15 years out, something like that. I'm, again, don't quote me too much. The point is that the trajectory, it's a little bit like a roller coaster that's going up and then peaking and then it's going to start coming down fast like hard like we could see a crash in world population at some point we're not there yet certainly not but population is still going up but what's happening is while population is going up and it's accelerating at a it's going up at a less lesser accelerated rate so the acceleration is decelerating at a decelerating rate is a better way of putting it what we're noticing is and, and this is well documented i know bill gates always talks about this not to quote uh, necessarily one specific person, but just to give you some reference points, population is, the world population is, is, is reaching uh, less poverty. Every year, from what, I'm, what I've seen, we're reaching less poverty levels. What that means, we're seeing higher standards of living. So more and more people go into higher standards of living throughout every, you know, again, it's probably every year, but let's say throughout five-year lens, a lot more people exit poverty. So you have, if you guys have ever reached a there's certain there's a book about that called um it's not coming to my mind right now i'll bring it up next time hopefully if i remember but it talks about being poor is relative there's different levels of poor there's being poor literally sleeping on dirt in parts of very developing countries and having to go to the water hole to get water and then what we in the western world here know as poor which is still basically having some sort of a bed maybe some shelter Right, and those are very different levels of, according to these statistics. Right, so what this gets us to is that even though we are seeing a world population again accelerating at decelerating rate, and at some point we reach the top of that roller coaster and then going down hard, what we are probably still going to see for longer periods of time is, at least from what we're seeing right now, is a an increase in standards of living, and and that means, and this is the the point, that we're going to see more and more demand for energy. One of the sort of interesting points here right now uh, in terms of uh, energy and how it relates to the sort of the demand for energy, if you look at all sources of energy that we're using, which is anything from electricity to, uh, to fossil fuels to coal, uh, which is, I guess, also fossil fuels and other stuff, we're using more of every source of energy that we've ever had. I think we've had four energy revolutions throughout time. We had the wood, then the coal, then we went to oil and you know, natural gas and so forth. I think it was four. We're using more coal right now by like many X factors now than we ever did. Like during the Industrial Revolution, where you, when you couldn't see, and I'm exaggerating, you couldn't see your hand if you stuck it out uh, in front of you. Uh, There's so much smog and fog in places like London, where the Industrial Revolution gave birth. 
where everything was based on coal. We're using more coal now than bef- than then. Not because it's, it, but when it's not the biggest source of energy we're using, it's become very small, much smaller, but we're still using it. The point is a demand for energy. A demand for energy is likely going to be here for some time. So that is something from a structural tailwind. Now, I'd like to continue to two more points. And this is something where I would really like everyone to think about this after you're done listening, because really think about, think this through. There's a huge bifurcation right now in basically two camps. One camp of people is now thinking we're going to have deflation is going to be a much bigger problem than inflation down the road. And the debate is on how what's the time horizon on that. And then some people are thinking, of course, inflation. Now, let me address the first one first, which is inflation. So the people who are thinking that inflation is going to be the problem, they are looking at, again, growing population, higher living standards, which all of which I said is, is inflationary. But it may only be inflationary for some things. That's one thing. Wars, deglobalization, all things that we're factually seeing. Deglobalization is a fact. We have a shooting war in Europe at the time, potentially other problems in Asia at some point, Southeast Asia. And these are issues that are going to be inflationary uh, throughout time. The question, is it inflationary for everything or only for certain things? And uh, if you look at, for example, the way the consumer price index and inflation index in the United States and other parts of the world is calculated, housing services, the services side of things, housing services, uh, housing uh, prices and, and autos are, I think, two, two of the largest components. So the question is, are we going to see more demand for that or is it relative to, to, to what the demand is for energy? I don't have an answer for that, but that's like a 20-year view kind of thing. On the more nearer-term basis, and let's be very careful what nearer-term means I'm talking about for the next, let's say, five years, I would argue that there is a case to be made for a deflationary risk to be aware of. And it has a lot to do in the Western world, and, and I'm specifically talking about U.S. and Europe, where we saw a baby boom after World War II. Remember, many more babies were born than people were dying there is a case to be made that, and we see this, I see this empirically, my parents, for example, are spending a lot less money now than they did five years ago, than they did 10 years ago, and certainly than they did 20 years ago when all us kids uh, were had to be paid for with cars and schools and whatnot. The baby boomer generation, I believe, is now the second largest generation in the U.S. I believe the, the millennials is now the largest generation, but it's still a very meaning, it, it, they still have the most money. If there is less demand from that cohort, if they're not selling their homes anymore, if they're not buying any more cars, if they're not buying any more high-ticket, they're traveling less, all things that are happening, what does that do to, to the risk of inflation? Again, the question is where do they spend more money and where do they spend less? I would argue it's more or less across the board, but they may still, they need the heat, right? They're going to have to heat in the winter, depending on where they are, if they live in a place where you have to have heating or cool <laughs> in other parts of the world, in many parts, more and more parts of the world, it seems, if I look at the, the temperature charts of the world uh, this past summer. So it, we could even there, Martin, make an argument that we might see a deflationary trend, but it could still be supportive for energy. To sum this all up, the way I look at it, Energy stocks is something that we want to be overweight. We are recommending that also to our clients at Blue Marlin Advisors. Remember, that's not a recommendation here in the podcast. But just to give you an idea, we also at the Steady Trader have that as an overweight in terms of our asset allocation models for our subscribers and followers there. So I hope this gave you a little bit of insight in terms of what, we, what the reasons are why we think energy is a good allocation here, but also a good overweight allocation and a hedge for for inflation, as you can see, and on the chart or what I described to you, 
energy stock have done really well as a hedge against inflation. Hope it helps, folks. We'll see you again in the next Steady Wealth podcast. Until then, be well and trade and write.